Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Live Wire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank, your host. We're going to be talking about family this week, uh, which is kind of a complicated thing right now. Uh, some of us are spending way more time with our families uh, than we ever expected or wanted to. Uh, and then some of us would give anything to get to be with our families. Uh, so we're going to explore both ends of that spectrum with writer Danny Shapiro, who found out some pretty shocking family information from one of those mail-in DNA kits. Plus, comedian Chris Garcia is going to swing by to talk about growing up, the child of Cuban refugees, and what that looked like for him. Then, Casey Neal and the Norway Rats are going to put a bow on things with one of their catchy musical numbers. This is going to be fun. Consider Livewire your little radio family. And we're all going to start hanging out right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? Pretty good. It's nice to talk to you. Um, I have an important question, though, before we get the show going. Do you think your parents will be listening to this episode of the show? Mm, uh, yeah, I think really? they... Well, this, the problem is the pandemic. I think that, like, they're more likely to listen because there's <laughs> less things to distract them. Right. So they're like, might as well listen to Elena's show. <laughs> I'm a little nervous about that, honestly. Right, because we're talking <laughs> about family this week, and the listener question is, what's a surprising thing uh, about your parents? So they may actually hear this, I guess, is yeah. the takeaway. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, my parents will definitely not hear it. I don't think they know when or where to catch this radio program. <laughs> so I would say, be careful what you say about your parents, but say anything you want about Walt and Susie Burbank. Oh, great. Because this will not get back to them. <laughs> are you ready to do the show? Sure. Molly, are we recording? We are recording. All right, sweet. Take it away, Elena. From PRX, it's Livewire. Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire House Party. This week, writer Danny Shapiro, comedian Chris Garcia, and music from Casey Neal and the Norway Rats. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, from a small room just off his kitchen, the host of Livewire, Lou Burbank! Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We have a great show in store for you this week. We do have to start, though, with a little housekeeping 
mm. Elena, mm-hmm. which is last week on the show. We were talking about the song Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, and uh, we mentioned that it was composed by Mozart, and we were immediately inundated <laughs> with constructive <laughs> feedback telling us that we were sort of wrong. Someone said, just an FYI, Mozart did not compose the tune we use for Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. The tune was first published in 1761 and may date from the 1740s. Mozart composed a set of variations on the tune. Uh, This is signed Dr. Craig Grayson, an instructor of music and voice at North Seattle College. Now, Elena, you wanted to put in a, a correction to the correction. Oh, no, I think he's right. I think he's right. But you were saying he sort of popularized it, though, right? Sure, yeah. One of his variations is sort of what we know now. And it's barely a song, too. It's really an exercise up and down the scale. But, like, we should note that Mozart, you know, is a little bit of a sampler. He was like the original Girl Talk. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure that's how. (laughs) The original Greg Gillis. (laughs) That's right. Nice. All right. So um, to everybody who corrected us on the Mozart thing, uh, we are very, uh, very sorry. We regret the error. And we're not going to make any mistakes this week, I promise. No. Um, so we're talking about family this week uh, on the show. And we, of course, always like to ask the audience a question. This is the question for this week. What's the most surprising thing you've learned about your parents? When we put this question out, I, I was thinking, boy, this is going to really uncover some family secrets. And it mm-hmm. sounds like we have some fairly lengthy answers. Let me start though by asking you, Elena, uh, what is the most surprising thing you learned about your parents? Hmm. I don't think there's a single thing that I could say that would be appropriate for the radio. <laughs> there are quite Whoa. a few things, but um, how about this? Um, the other day I was talking to my mom on the phone. This isn't the most surprising thing by far, but, but it's uh, the one we can use on this a public is the radio. radio show. Yeah. The other day I was talking to my mom on the phone and we talk every Sunday and she always tells me what she's been watching mm-hmm. and her TV diet is very call the midwife yeah. Uh, like a HGTV, sure. sort of a soothing, you know, costume drama, Downton Abbey kind of stuff. And lately she's been watching a TV show. She can't get enough of it called Manhunt. <laughs> Is that on like uh, the Spice Channel? No, no, like an actual, like, like a police manhunt, like oh. looking for fugitives. She's just, she can't get enough of it, I guess. Huh. She may have reached the end of Netflix, as we say yeah. nowadays. And That's <laughs> happening to more and more people during the pandemic. Um I think that the the most surprising thing about my parents that I've sort of only realized lately upon reflection is that they were actually low-key pretty cool Mm. when they were in high school. Like my mom was like a Barbizon model and (gasps) she was apparently this close to being in an ivory soap ad. And if you ask her on demand, she will still deliver the line that she was delivering for her ivory soap commercial uh, audition. And then my dad was... He grew up in Los Angeles, but then his sophomore year of high school, his dad, who worked for the Forest Service, got transferred to Missoula, Montana. Mm -hmm. So my dad was suddenly the kid from L.A. who transferred to Hellgate High in Missoula, Montana, (laughs) which I think upped his cool cred. Like exponentially. It's like a reverse 90210. <laughs> totally. Like imagine that you're just going to school in Missoula, Montana, and this like floppy haired cross country running kid, Walt Burbank, shows up from LA. <laughs> I mean, he must have just had the had the world on a string. But his name is Walt Burbank, which just sounds plum made up. So Exactly. It's a it's a other than Luke Burbank, it's one of the most phony sounding names out there. <laughs> so I, I don't know what happened to them, by the way. 
in the, since they were cool. I think having <laughs> seven kids will really put a dent yeah. in, in your coolness. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, I think I think objectively speaking, they were they were pretty cool kids. Uh, what are the uh, Livewire listeners saying? Are some surprising things that they've learned about their parents? Oh, here's one from Jamie. Jamie uh, is speaking uh, about Jamie's dearly departed dad who, quote, belonged to a nudist group after he was widowed. He was an avid photographer, and we always wondered why there were no pics of those trips. (laughs) Someday science will will crack the the sort of the science behind why it is that nudity and volleyball really just seem to go hand in hand at most of those. Don't you know that seems like any time you hear about like a – uh, I think, do they call themselves like uh, naturalists or naturists? Yes, the unclothed. When you hear about a, a, a nudist colony in Florida, everyone's playing volleyball <laughs> all the time, which is, seems like not, I don't know what sport I would want to play naked, yeah, but no. I, volleyball would be near the bottom of the list. Maybe like, I'm trying to think of something, like rhythmic gymnastics? That would also be at the bottom of my list. <laughs> Hey, speaking of uh, family stuff, our first guest here on the Livewire House Party uh, is the author of 10 books, many of which examine identity and family. Um, But here is the kind of remarkable thing. When she was in her mid-40s, she did one of those, like, mail-in DNA tests that everyone's doing. And quite to her surprise, it revealed that her father was not her biological father. Mm. I feel like the DNA kits have been really the natural enemy of the secret parenting, yeah. wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, I, like, I, I don't think anybody envisioned that when they were making certain stories part of family lore 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So she did one of these mail-in DNA tests, which revealed that her father was actually not her biological father. And of course, uh, she had to write about that. Uh, the result was a memoir, Inheritance, which became an instant New York Times bestseller. Uh, it was named uh, Best Book of the Year by Vanity Fair and a bunch of other places. So let's take a listen to this. This is our conversation with Danny Shapiro, recorded back in 2019. Danny, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's start uh, kind of at the beginning. Like, where did you grow up and what was your family structure like, at least as far as you knew at that point? So I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish family in Hillside, New Jersey, in the shadow of Newark Airport. I was an only child. My parents were older. I was told, you don't look Jewish. You can't possibly be Jewish. And it was said to me every day of my life. I mean, I, I, when you're a kid, you just are who you think you are, right? Like you, the stories that we tell ourselves. And in one particular moment, um, I was maybe four years old, and friends of my parents, Holocaust survivors who were having Sabbath lunch at our house, in fact, a, a lady named Mrs. Kushner, who later became the uh, grandmother of Jared Kushner, um, she patted me on the head, and I'd be very blonde, and she said, uh, we could have used you in the ghetto, little blondie. You could have gotten us bread from the Nazis. What was your response, if you can remember? At four. Um, I think I internalized it, and I just felt like, wow, I wish I had been alive so that I could have helped. If I had been there, I could have... It was such an incredible thing to say to a child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you write in the book about how you, you didn't feel particularly close to your mother, What was your relationship with your father like? 
It was very close and loving. He was a really warm dad. He was the better parent. Sorry, mom, she's gone. I mean, maybe she can hear this, but... Um, We're, this show is huge in heaven. <laughs> it's literally our main demo. We would like some ratings on Earth, if we could get those. <laughs> um, you took a mail-in DNA test, just one of those things that we've all probably seen ads for on TV. Why did you take that test in the first place? My husband was doing it himself for just sort of recreational reasons, thought he might find some third or fourth cousins, the reasons why most people do them. Kind so, of curiosity, but not a thought about like major family secrets no. being uncovered. No, I think most people when they take those tests, I mean, 12 million people took those tests last year and 2% discover that they have a parent that they didn't know about. And did I understand the, the series of events, right, that what the information that came back uh, told you that your sister, your half-sister was not your sister, which meant that your shared biological father could not be your biological father? That's what we ended up getting to. The, inf the information that first came back just showed me as being half-Jewish, which made no sense. Or maybe Ancestry.com just made a big, fat mistake. Huh. <laughs> But that wasn't the case. Which was, I heard in your book, the common response from everyone when you started talking about this mystifying result you were getting from this DNA test, everyone just assumed it was like a clerical error. Right. Can you imagine if those companies made clerical errors? Huh. <laughs> It'd be quite life-ruining, <laughs> or at least quite confusing for people, I guess. Right, exactly. Um, you write that there was a weird conversation you had with your mother at one point about you being conceived in Philadelphia, this was news to you as, I think, an adult, right? What happened that time? I was 25 years old. Um, my father had died two years earlier. It was actually the anniversary of his death, and I remember that because I did not want my mom to spend the night alone. So I invited her to a reading of graduate students, and at that reading, I introduced her to a friend of mine, and my mother said, oh, Rachel, nice to meet you. Where are you from? And Rachel said, Philadelphia. And my mother said, Oh, my daughter was conceived in Philadelphia. Classic icebreaker. <laughs> what did you say to your mother after that? I said, what do you mean I was conceived in Philadelphia? <laughs> <laughs> to which my mother replied, oh, you don't want to know, it's not a pretty story. So after the evening when I was driving her back to New York, I, I pushed her to explain what she meant by not a pretty story, and she uh, said a few things. She said, your father had slow sperm, there was an institute in Philadelphia, that was the word she used, which ended up being a huge clue. She didn't say clinic, she didn't say hospital, institute. And she said artificial insemination. But she made it very clear that it was my father and she that were doing this together. And that must have made sense to you, because you then went through uh, the rest of your adult life, up until the DNA test, assuming that was the actually what had happened, right? Yeah, I totally accepted it. And, and uh, you know, my, my father was gone, I had adored him, he was my dad, and despite the fact that I had always been told you don't look Jewish and all that kind of stuff, I just closed the door until a couple of years ago when there were the results. This is the Live Warehouse Party coming to you by way of PRX. I'm Luke Burbank. At my house, Elena Passarello is checking in from her place. Uh, we are listening back to a conversation with the writer Danny Shapiro about her book, Inheritance, 
Uh, we recorded this back in 2019. Uh, we got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, we're going to hear about how Danny made contact with her biological father. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com slash livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, let's get back into our conversation with the writer Danny Shapiro. Uh, she's talking about a memoir she wrote called Inheritance, which basically details what happened when she took one of those mail-in DNA tests and learned that her father was not her actual biological father. Listen to this. One of the things that's really fascinating about this book is how much of it unfolds over the course of maybe like four days. You've gone from thinking that you're Danny Shapiro, daughter of a certain person, to finding a YouTube video of your biological father giving like a lecture here in Oregon. It was at a Whole Foods. It was about not bringing your recyclable grocery bag. That's not true. That is not what the speech was about. It was a target. Yeah, exactly. No, but you were, you, you were able to figure out and then see a visual representation of your actual biological father in, in almost no time. Yeah, it was 36 hours. Um, and I had just a few clues to go on. I mean, if I had not had that conversation with my mother all those years earlier, not a pretty story. If I had not had that conversation, I would have been completely in the dark. There was also, I mean, I don't want to get into the weeds, but there was a first cousin who appeared on my uh, DNA page who was a stranger to me. And I knew all my first cousins, I thought. And so just using nothing more than Facebook and Google, um, at, we were able to, my husband and I were able to discover my biological father. And when I saw him, it was on a YouTube video. He was in Oregon. He's a retired physician and medical ethicist. <laughs> and how had he become your biological father? What was the story behind it? So the institute that my parents went to in Philadelphia was on the campus of the University of Pennsylvania, and they used medical students' uh, donated sperm. Uh, this is Livewire Radio. We're talking to Danny Shapiro. She wrote a book, Inheritance, about finding out that her biological father 
was not the person that she thought was her father. Um, you reached out to the person who turned out to be your biological father. Did you struggle over the decision of whether or not to reach out, or was it just immediate? It was immediate. I mean, I had just found out that the man I thought was my biological father all my life hadn't been, and so I was just trying to like put myself back together again to start with. But also, a, a journalist who was part of this process of helping us find him said to me, there are templates. You really ought to kind of, there are templates for how to reach out to your biological father at the age huh. of 54 when you find out that you weren't the... And I just thought, you know, I think I've left the world of templates. Right? Like just, <laughs> yeah. At this very moment, I am not in the world of templates. And also, I'm a writer. And I can write an email um, that is effective. And I was very careful. I just like waited. This, this may come as a shock. It will certainly feel like it's you know, falling out of the clear blue sky. My name is Danny Shapiro. I'm a writer. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm, I live in Connecticut. I have reason to believe that you may be my biological father. Um, I don't, we won't give away the part of the book about what happens with the communication with, with your biological father, but I'll just say I read this book with great interest because I never really met my biological father. I mean, I was, a, I was in utero when my mom and him separated, and then I was, I don't know, maybe one or two, she took me to have him sign some paperwork, like releasing liability on me or whatever. And it has not been something that I've thought about a huge amount or that if he had passed away, I guess, but had he been alive, I would, I would not have personally had some huge desire to meet him and piece together that part of my life. I don't know if that's just my personality type. You were clearly rocked by this news. I mean, brought to your absolute knees over this. Is that because of the age you were when you found out the information, or is that just different personality types respond to this kind of stuff differently? I think it's because I knew, I, I had certainty about who my dad was. And it had been a secret that had been kept from me that he wasn't. And so that secret permeated my life and became part of my identity. I gave incorrect medical history for my entire life. Like if you had gone to a doctor when you were, I don't know, 25 years old and they said paternal medical history, you would have been like, I maybe I don't know. Yeah. Or my you, mom, my birth certificate. They have you have to write the job of the father. My mom wrote longshoreman question mark. <laughs> and that was always part of your identity, right? Longshoreman question mark. Yeah. But but that was part of it, right? Yeah. As opposed to finding out like, oh, totally wrong. You know, Orthodox Jewish. Paul Shapiro, my dad, um, and then suddenly, actually, no, not at all. Swedish, French, Irish, English, anonymous sperm donor, University of Pennsylvania medical student, dad, not dad, but you know, biological father. It's the secrecy that's the issue. It's not the biology. Yeah, because I tend to be of the opinion that other than you know, medical stuff and physiological things, like so much of, of who we are is the people who raised us, the people we were around, the nurturing, we had the nurturing that you had from Paul Shapiro, from his parents. I mean, that's really who we are, right? Oh, without a question. I mean, when I, well, I, it's not a spoiler, but I, I do end up meeting my biological father and he did not feel like my father to me. He felt like 
the country that I was from or the cloth that I was cut from. He was very familiar. I look like him. I gesture like him. There are traits that we share, but he didn't feel like my father because he didn't raise me. He didn't love me into being. And it actually brought me all the way to a place of absolutely feeling like the man who raised me is my, is my dad. And my, you know, that's, I honor that and I honor his, um, his bravery, really, and heroism in going down that road at a time when that was not an easy thing to do. If you could snap your fingers and just have not ever taken that test, would you, would you do it? I'm so glad I know. Because it explains so much. It was like I was wearing the wrong prescription and suddenly huh. I saw. I, it, it just, everything snapped into place. I'm glad I know. It was really hard, but it's ultimately incredibly liberating. Wow. Danny Shapiro, everyone. The book is Inheritance. Check it out. That was Danny Shapiro, recorded back in 2019. Uh, right here on the Livewire House Party. Uh, here's an update on what Danny has been up to. She actually launched a podcast because, Elaine, I don't know if you know this, but under the Podcast Act of 2020, legally every American <laughs> must have a podcast. Do your part, America. Please. That's right. Uh, so this a podcast Danny has called Family Secrets. It's about her story. It also features stories from guests who have also discovered secrets from their family's past. Uh, Ted Kaczynski's brother was on it. Also, Alicia Keys. Wow. Um, and ne yeah, next season is, I think, going to be the fifth season of the show. It launches on April 1st. Uh, so uh, go ahead and look for that. Of, of course, after you've already listened to every back episode of Livewire. Of course. Because we, we need the clicks. But once you've done that, <laughs> then definitely go check out Danny's show. Hey, special thanks this episode to Gary Parr and Denise Pelequin of Portland, Oregon. Gary and Denise are part of the Livewire member community, and they are generously supporting the show with a donation each month. We are very grateful for that support because it's how we are able to do the show each week. So a huge thanks to Gary and Denise for making Livewire possible. This is the Livewire House Party from PRX. Of course, each week we like to ask the Livewire listeners a question. And because we're talking about family this week on the show, uh, we asked, what's the most surprising thing you've learned about your parents? Folks sent those answers in via social media, and Elena Passarello has collected them up. Uh, what are the audience members telling us? Here's one from Tracy. Tracy says, I found out as an adult that my parents didn't think it was important to discuss their religious beliefs or their political affiliations before they got married, and now they are divorced. <laughs> you feel like that would come up. Yeah, I, I heard something on the radio the other day, or yesterday, of, of a woman who moved in with somebody right after four months of dating during the pandemic, and they were on the opposite ends of the political spectrum, like as far apart as could be. And they're still together after 2020. <laughs> Boy, that would be tough for me. I mean, to be uh, in a, you know, a, like a serious partnership with someone who just saw the world so differently. Yeah. I mean, that's an, ama that's an amazing skill to just be able to like turn that part of your brain off. Yeah. All right. What's another one? Here's a real sweet one from Cindy. 
Cindy says, my mom always wanted an easel for painting. She's almost 82 years old and she finally bought the one that she wanted. So it's not like a secret. It's like, this is something that she's always wanted to do, but life has sort of kept her from making it happen. And then you get to be surprised by your parents. You know, I love that. that It's like they keep surprising you. That's right. Like I am surprised at how into each other my parents are. (laughs) <laughs> 40 plus years into this life together. Like they are, because all, you know, all of us kids are grown and out of the house and they are just ride or die. Aww. Like they just go everywhere together. They do all this stuff. I mean, it's like very, it's very cute. You know, you're, you sort of think, I think as a kid that like once you grow up and move out, your parents like stop evolving or, you know, changing. But I mean, look, we learned that your mom loves a TV show called Manhunter. Manhunt. We learned that Cindy's mom is finally getting the easel of her dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, yeah, you know, we're all just on this journey, I guess. Um, speaking of journeys, this is a live wire house party. Uh, I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello right over there. Uh, we're talking about family this week. That's a big topic for our next guest. He has appeared on Comedy Central, This American Life, uh, as well as WTF with Mark Marin. Uh, now we had him on Livewire back in 2019 to perform some stand-up and also to talk about his podcast called Scattered. Uh, which he was developing at the time. Take a listen to this. It's Chris Garcia performing in front of a live audience back in 2019 at the Alberta Rose Theater. Hi, how's it going? I love this city. This city's so fun. But I am freezing. I do not know how to dress for this weather. I look like Cheech and Chong works at Urban Outfitters right now. I am not prepared for the Pacific Northwest. Uh, For those of you listening at home, just imagine I'm kind of dressed like one of the guys breaking into Macaulay Culkin's house in Home Alone. I look like a wet bandit right now. A little bit about me. Uh, My family's from Cuba. I am the first person in my family born in the United States. Anybody else? (laughs) There was a laugh. (laughs) So I was like, are you kidding? No. How about someone, how about the Mayflower? Anyone's family come over on the Mayflower? Just kidding, my family. Put a lot of pressure on me as a kid. My father wanted me to be an astronaut. I was born a year after my parents got to the United States, and my dad wanted me to be an astronaut. That's how ambitious my dad was. He just got to America, and he wanted me to already go to space. I think he forgot that he's a hardworking immigrant. I'm an American. My dream is to get hit by a Walmart truck and get paid for the rest of my life. Not trying to do space math over here. I love my parents a lot. I, uh, I try uh, to speak about my family in a dignified manner because I think you've seen a lot of comedians maybe speak lowly of their immigrant parents or they make fun of them in a way and I don't think we should do that anymore. And I think for uh, a lot of reasons, uh, it's rude. Uh, it's also very unfair, you know? My dad never got on stage and made fun of me. My dad never came here and made fun of me. Never once did he get on stage. And he wasn't like, uh, hey, you guys, anybody have an American-born kid? (laughs) 
No, but okay, I'm gonna talk about it. Oh, oh man. My son Christian, he goes by Chris. Getting on stage, oh, I'm Cuban, whoa, wow. He doesn't look Cuban, he looks like he works at Trader Joe's or something. You believe this guy, man? I tell you what, me and his mom, her name is Martica, we're refugees from Cuba. In our 30s, we came to the United States. A year later, boom, Christian. Chris. <laughs> wow, okay, Chris pops out. I'm so excited. He's my only son, my only American-born kid. He's my second chance. I do everything for this boy. I work blue-collar jobs, graveyard shift. I put him in a escuela privada, a private school. We got him tutors because he's stupid. <laughs> he came out undercooked. I don't know what happened. Mom forgot to preheat the oven, but he came out a little soft, but I don't care. I say, Christian, this is America, the land of opportunity. You can do forever you want. Forever you want. <laughs> You're a good person. You don't fool around. You work hard. You pay your taxes. You can do it. 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 <laughs> Christian goes to UC Berkeley for college. Yeah, one of the best public universities in the United States. <laughs> and you want to know what he studied? Any, uh, anybody want to take a gander? And what, he studied poetry. <laughs> poetry. Are you telling me I floated through shark-infested waters on a hubcap so this <laughs> can read haikus? <laughs> this kid got so smart he became stupid again, man. <laughs> My dad never did that. <laughs> Great guy. You know, I did this show recently at a comedy festival, and this other comedian afterwards stopped me, and he said it was cheap that I was talking in my dad's voice, and that I had, it was cheap and unfair that I was talking about my heritage, and that it gave me an unfair advantage. <laughs> but I thought about it. I think the guy's right. Like, I remember when my dad sat me down, and I was a little boy, and he said, Chris, as a firstborn son of refugees, your life is going to be harder in every way. You grew up poor. You're not going to have as many opportunities out the gate. Um, kids might make fun of your lunch at school. You're going to have the first mustache in third grade. <laughs> but there's going to come a time when you need to make a room full of strangers laugh, and then you can rely on my crazy Cuban accent. I have every right to create art based on the circumstances of my life. I am very proud to be in Cuban, though. I do, I do get annoyed how people have exoticized it a little bit. You know what I mean? Have you been? Oh my god, you have to go. You have to go before it changes. Just picture it, drive around in an old cars, smoke a cigar. It's a perfect level of poverty for Instagram right now. <laughs> the people, they're so poor, but they're so happy. Have you heard people talk like this? Oh my gosh, it makes me so sick. 
You know who never vacations in Cuba? Cubans that left Cuba. My parents left 40 years ago. They've never gone back. When I lived in San Francisco, my dad wouldn't even visit Alcatraz. He was like, you want me to go to a prison island surrounded by sharks? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me, can't fool me again. You guys have been great. Thank you so much. Good night. That's Chris Garcia. Uh, Chris, welcome to Livewire. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I didn't know you were that you studied poetry in college. I sure did. Was the comedy an outgrowth of like were you reading poetry and noticing that there was humor in it, or like how did you end up where you're at now? I think they both stemmed from marijuana in college. Um, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I just really loved, I was, I was a sensitive kid, and sometimes I'm sad, and sometimes I express it in a happy way, like in comedy, and sometimes I have to be emotional and write it out. And I think in college, I was in my, probably my most vulnerable years, so I was really, in, I was like a creative writing poetry major. Do you still write poetry now that you're a comedian? No, and I just moved, and I looked back and read some of those poems, and what a waste of money and time that was for me. I loved reading it, but writing it, oof, not my bag. <laughs> when, did you, when did you start doing comedy then? Um, well, my first sets were kind of during spoke, like slams, but I was like the funny poetry slam guy, right. and then I started doing improv, and then I was like, I don't need a group of people, and then... <laughs> I'm a one-man show, baby. And I was like, and the answer then, is always, yes, I am better without you. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and I'm going solo. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so then I started stand-up, and I've been doing it for now 14 years. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. And I know you are working on this new podcast that WNYC Studios is going to put out. And it's, I, you and I were talking about it backstage. Like, your mom is involved in at least the kind of early stages of it. And what, like, what, you're interviewing your mom? What is the show? So my wonderful father, who I talk about in my act, he passed away two years ago. Uh, it's okay. I had a great dad. And, like, this podcast, we just started recording with WNIC. They were just interested in me, and we started recording stuff. And uh, my father had just passed away. And he's just such a good person with such an interesting life that we decided to, uh, and it's, we, I guess we just announced it yesterday, that we're going to have a 13-episode uh, podcast on WNYC about my dad, my family, and then dealing with like, grief and loss uh, in a comedic manner. Uh, my mom is super funny. <laughs> like, my mom, thank you. My mom, one of the questions I asked her when we first started re recording the podcast, and I was like, Mom, if dad was alive for five minutes, what would you say to him? And the WNYC people were like, that's a good question. And without flinching, my mom was like, five minutes? I'd have sex with him. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she was like, five minutes isn't enough. And I was like, how long do you know is enough? She's like, you know, when it starts, you never know when it's going to end, honey. <laughs> I was like, wow. So my mom is able to talk in very... <laughs> it's gallows humor that is so hilarious. Uh, we also interviewed my uh, cousin Machito, who is my mom's cousin from Cuba, who, like my father, was a political prisoner for many years. 
And so I thought it'd be interesting to talk about his experiences and if he could see things in my father that he uh, knows uh, about himself and trauma and stuff like that. And so this is how grateful my cousin is to be in the United States. So Machito told me that he had been a political prisoner. He'd been in prison so many times he can't remember. And his longest stints were three years and one year, but altogether he's been in a political prison for multiple years. He comes to the United States in like 2004 and the first job he gets is as a janitor working for a janitorial company. And the company, uh, they're like, hey, you can you know, clean a school for like uh, $7 an hour. You can do a hospital for like $8.50. Or you could do a maximum security prison for $10.50. And he's like, give me the prison. <laughs> so he's telling me the story. He's working in a prison. He's working in a wing of the prison where there's rapists and murderers. And one night, he gets locked in with the inmates. Overnight. He's supposed to leave at 1 AM. He's stuck there until 6 in the morning. And I was like, what the hell was that like? He was like, they paid me overtime, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's this type of like humor that is like so human. And it seems so dark. But it's so, it's so real. And from like I, I love my dad so much, and I feel like I want to immortalize the man, or uh, at least have a nice uh, living memorial of him. And I think this podcast is a nice way to do that, and it's also a nice way to help those that may have experienced something similar. So All right, I think it'll. We'll be look cool. for it from WNYC. Chris Garcia, everyone. Thank you so much. That was Chris Garcia, recorded back in 2019. This right here, this is a live warehouse party. Uh, if you want to hear more about Chris and his dad, you should definitely check out his podcast, Scattered, from WNYC Studios. It was named one of the 10 best podcasts of 2019 mm. by Time Magazine. I think we won that award too, didn't we, Elena? Yeah, it was, t- it was actually Mime Magazine. It was a, a <laughs> magazine that where people wanted podcasts to turn into mime acts. Oh, right. Or Mm -hmm. it could have been Cat Fancy, which I feel like just your love (laughs) of all things feline, Elena, we have to be up for Cat Fancy's podcast of the year. I loved Cat Fancy. I used to, you know, they'd have like the little cards at the grocery store where you would send it in to get the subscription. I would take the cards and put it on my wall of the Cat Fancy. (laughs) I, without my parents' permission, subscribed to Sports Illustrated because I wanted to get the telephone that was shaped like a football. Oh, God. I love that phone. And the hamburger yeah. one? Who? What did you subscribe to? Or you you got to the subscribe burger? to McDonald's for that one. I yeah. Think. yeah. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Livewire from PRX. we got to take a quick break. Uh, but when we come back, you are going to hear some music from Casey Neal and the Norway Rats. So don't go anywhere. Back with more Livewire in just a moment. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to the Live Wire House Party from PRX. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with 
Elena Passarello. Um, we're talking about family on the show this week, and our musical guest, they're sort of a musical family, uh, one that includes members of some of the biggest bands from the Pacific Northwest, like the Decemberists and Viva Voce and Eels. Casey Neal and the Norway Rats were on our show back in 2019. They were promoting their album Subterrene, uh, which, you know, actually kind of gives off like strangely hopeful vibes about the future, which is, you know, that's a thing you can try. That's a nice change of pace. <laughs> Has anyone ever considered being hopeful? Let's find out together. Take a listen to this. It's Casey Neal and the Norway Rats on Livewire. Casey, welcome to Livewire. Hey, hey. Um, let, let's talk about this this album that you have out. I mean, how how is it that <laughs> this sounds so dark at the top of the interview? But like, how where are you finding hope in these days? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, hope uh, to me it's a verb. It's the things that people do. Um, you know, if we don't have it, then where are we? So you know, we have these rectangles of doom that we stare at all the time that tell us all of the horrible things that are happening everywhere and and that's a good thing to face but um you know also those things can also remind us of all the heroic things that people are doing and the mm. hope is actually is actually the activists out there people making a positive change in the world of which there are so many examples right now it's kind of staggering yeah um i'm mostly so, just watching videos of animals being reunited with people from a long time ago yeah that is like, I cry two times a day watching like a condor hug a guy in uh -huh. like Brazil. Who even knew condors remembered things? Did, did you see the otters playing in the snow in yeah. Washington? Did you see the guy in the MAGA hat who was reunited with the guy who released him into the wild 20 years ago? He still remembers him. It's very touching. So you're saying that there is hope out there. You just have to kind of like look for it. Yeah, and, and I think also, you know, our job as musicians is to go out there and you're, we're dealing in the, in the realm of uh, an emotional art form that's supposed to reach people, um, you know, on a, in an emotional place. I mean, if you, I suppose there's music that if you wanted just doom, there's doom metal for you. Huh. Um, but since we're not a doom metal band, we're um, trying to make people enjoy themselves on a night out and feel better about the world and, you know, put some reality in there too. Um, the Norway Rats are themselves a, a very decorated and beloved group of musicians, from, many of them from right here in Portland, Oregon. How mm -hmm. did they get named the Norway Rats? Uh, it was because of a book uh, by the author Robert Sullivan, uh, who had written a book called Rats. And there was a story in there. It's about the Norway, Norway rats are the, the giant rats in New York City, the, the breed. And the Norwegians just got blamed. They came over on ships at the time when ships were coming over from everywhere. Uh, but yeah, somehow the Norwegians got blamed for this. And you um, saw that and you thought, let's, let's name the band after that? Yep. How does the band feel about that? <laughs> Dry, are you okay with it? You guys are, everybody's all right with it? <laughs> all right. I'm going to take their word. They seem, I'd say they, they seem medium on it. <laughs> what song are we going to hear, Casey? Uh, we're going to play a song called Savages. Okay. Yeah. And this is off Subterrene? It's off Subterrene. All right. Yeah. This is Casey Neal and the Norway Rats, everybody.
That was Casey Neal and the Norway Rats, recorded back in 2019 here on the Livewire House Party. Uh, an update on Casey, he is still recording and releasing and performing music on the internet during the pandemic. You can go to CaseyNeal.org. All right, before we get out of here, a little preview of next week's show. I know you're going to be really excited about this, Elena, because this was your suggestion. Ooh. We're going to talk to a guy named Connor Ratliff about this really incredible podcast uh, that he has out called Dead Eyes. Yes. Uh, it was sort of on all of the best podcast lists uh, last year. It's basically him trying to solve the mystery uh, of why Tom Hanks personally fired him from like a very small role in the um, HBO miniseries Band of Brothers. <laughs> this is back in like 2001. Um, and then, Elena, hmm. we are going to feature some music and a chat with the one, the only, Ani DeFranco. Be still my 18-year-old heart. Ugh. Very, very exciting <sighs> time for us and the whole staff. Uh, of course, we're also going to be looking to get your answers to our listener question, which is where our social media manager, Ariana Donneville, comes in. Hey, Ariana. Hey, Luke. Hey, what's the uh, question for the listeners this coming week? What's the most impactful thing anyone has ever said about you? Whoa, uh, about you. So, like, not yep. to you which is kind of like sage advice, but like about you. Boy, that's actually more revealing, uh, right? Yep. <laughs> I think Elena's got some thoughts coming to mind, it would appear. It's a dead eyes question, <laughs> right? It's like the what, what right. thing have you overheard about that somebody said about you that it's like affected your whole life? <laughs> yeah. What's the uh, best way for people to send in their answers, Ariana? Listeners can submit their answers on our social channels. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Livewire Radio, as well as on Facebook. 
All right. Uh, I promise you, Ariana, the stuff we say behind your back is even nicer yeah. <laughs> than what we say to your face, which is pretty nice. I'll believe it when I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for our show this week. Uh, a huge thanks to our guests, Danny Shapiro, Chris Garcia, and Casey Neal and the Norway Rats. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sepchenko, and Ariana Donneville is our marketing manager. Our house band for this episode was Jonathan Newsom, Ethan Fox Tucker, and A. Walker Spring, who also composed our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixed this episode. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank member Amy McCormick of Astoria, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thanks so much for listening. And we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait. Actually, no. Sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review. And if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.